What if you could have the eyes of God? Confidence, clarity, compassion, connection, creativity in your everyday human life. And what is an authentic connection to the divine? Grace, love, light, peace. I know at this time right now, more than ever, if you're on a path of faith that leads to these things, sign me up. I'm in. But what's the difference between a spiritual life and a spiritualizing life? And why, if so many Christians define their spiritual connection to God as loving, welcoming, and accepting, do so many non-Christians define God as the opposite? When you ask the average American if what their number one word is to describe Christians, they will say, hate. Jenna Remersma is an addiction therapist and author of a book called Altogether You. She says it's possible to apply the groundbreaking psychological insights of the internal family systems model of therapy and evidence-based and mindfulness-based type of therapy to deepen your understanding of God as a Christian. It gave me language and a an immediate approach to uh, the grace and the compassion and the transformation that my faith community had promised, but I didn't always experience. Um, But this model, this way of approaching it, gave me what I would call the eyes of God to see these very human struggles that I have, you have, we all have, um, in a way that actually did open up transformation rather than creating more shame. Remersma is someone that's intimately immersed in the Christian faith and wants to bring her knowledge of some of the most perplexing things about the mind and human behavior to the Christian spiritual journey. For example, why do loving people sometimes behave unlovingly? Or why do disciplined people suffer from addiction and mental illness? Aren't we all coping with eating a few too many Oreos or (laughs) sleeping in or being frustrated with online schooling with our kids? Uh, We all are feeling things we don't want to feel and doing things we don't want to do. And the ways that we normally approach those problems, those dilemmas, actually make them worse. And IFS helps us to do the reverse, which in fact helps to make them better. In her new book, Altogether You, Jenna demystifies why parts of your mind so easily become conflicted with one another. For example, one part of you wanting to please others and do things right, while other parts seem bent on acting out, shutting down, or engaging in hurtful behaviors. Or a really common one for all of us. One part of me wants to sleep an extra hour and another part of me thinks I should get up and exercise. Understanding that we're all comprised of a self and many different parts and that we just have parts at war and that's normal is how IFS helps us to make sense of those confusing and self-defeating experiences that we can often have. There's so many examples like this I could just go on and on. Jenna explores the surprising insight from the psychology of this unique form of therapy called IFS that our conflicted parts are actually trying to help us, even when what they're doing or feeling is not helpful. She says by genuinely welcoming all our parts and learning how to access our God-created core self, we can finally experience the change, integration, and wholeness we've been looking for. We have two types of protective parts. We have proactive parts, we call those managers, and they're trying to proactively prevent us from feeling the pain of our exiles. And when that doesn't work, we have reactive protectors, we call those firefighters, and they jump in when we do feel the pain of our exiles to try to put out that pain. Remersma understands the unique discouragement that people of faith can experience when their actions don't line up with their sincere beliefs. And if you look at some of the most pivotal pieces of scripture, Romans in particular, seven and eight is just beautiful for this. We hear um, Paul, who is the you know penultimate example of, of sort of New Testament Christianity, in this wrestling of parts, he says, oh my goodness, this, this, what I want to do, I don't do. 
She's done an amazing job bridging the gap that often exists between people of deep religious conviction and cutting-edge scientifically-based healing tools like IFS. My heart is not to draw people out of their faith tradition. It's actually to move them into it more authentically and to heal the parts that may have inadvertently been wounded by well-intentioned spiritualizers. Jenna holds a master's degree in public policy from Harvard University, in addition to being a licensed professional counselor. She's a trauma-informed EMDR therapist and holds multiple certifications as a sex addiction therapist and in substance abuse addiction. And I'm going to give you a little warning about this episode. For anyone who is therapy-phobic out there or you've maybe you feel embarrassed in visual arts or expressive arts, you're embarrassed by playful things, if you watch this video version of my talk with Jenna, without warning, she's going to bring out a puppet to illustrate a point. There are some visual props here. Just going to warn you on that. And if you pride yourself on being a smart person, maybe you've got a couple degrees and you're just not going to listen to some bullshit puppet show, here's what I want to say to you. There's a reason you're interested in this topic. Maybe you struggle with an addiction that's out in the open, or maybe you've worked your whole life to hide it or hide something. Maybe you're tired of being told how to get in shape or look right or look pretty or get ahead in life and it's all weighing you down. Whatever it is, I want to ask for your trust on this one, puppets included. And by the way, the toy prop is just a tiny part of her presentation. The use of the visual, like any metaphors or stories, is not an accident. We do it all the time in therapy, in healing work. It's not childish to imagine. Imagination is at the very heart of intelligence, which is at the center of healing. So, okay, that's enough about my warning. I made a bigger deal of it than it really is. You're just going to have to deal with seeing Cookie Monster show up here and there in the middle of an otherwise pretty deep and sophisticated talk on spirituality. Jenna invites us to open ourselves up to God. Whatever your faith tradition or your tradition of avoiding faith traditions, as a healer, I know there's many paths to the divine in this world. Will you surrender? Can you surrender? Maybe just 10% more? Jenna says it's not hard. We make it hard. Emmanuel, which means God with us. God in us, not over there, not where he's going to run out and grab a sandwich or get a snack. God with us. Welcome to the Soul of Life. I'm Keith Miller. This is episode 17, The Faces of God. I'm Keith Miller, and my podcast, The Soul of Life, is here to help you remember who you really are. I'll bring together people who have gotten off their treadmills. I'll have conversations with athletes, musicians, doctors, scientists, healers, and entrepreneurs to discuss the fascinating edges of our knowledge in neurobiology, psychology, and physics. This is The Soul of Life. Jenna Remirsma is the founder and clinical director of the Atlantic Center for Relational Healing and the author of Altogether You, a number one Amazon best-selling new release about psychological and spiritual health using the internal family systems model. Jenna holds a master's degree in public policy from Harvard University, in addition to being a licensed professional counselor. She's a trauma-informed EMDR therapist and holds multiple certifications as a sex addiction therapist and as a substance abuse addiction therapist. Jenna, welcome to the show. Thank you, Keith. Great to be with you. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about your new book, Altogether You. It sounds amazing. And, you know, I've been an IFS pr- practitioner like you have for many years, going uh, more than almost in my second decade here. And IFS has been an, an important part of my life. It's something I've talked about on the Soul of Life show and had Dick Schwartz in an earlier episode. And I'd love to hear about your experience kind of generally as a counselor. Maybe you can share with everyone kind of who you are, and then we'll dive in today to talk about your book and, and why you wrote uh, Altogether You. Sure. Well, I, as you said, I'm the founder and director of the Atlanta Center for Relational Healing, and um, I love the work with addiction and trauma that I get to do here. And like you, um, I've been practicing for a long time. I have many different trainings, but when I encountered 
internal family systems, it was a game changer for me personally and professionally. And it helped to uh, just really bring uh, such compassion and transformation to the work of trauma healing and addiction recovery that I get to do every day. So I love it. Yeah. Tell me about the kind of addictions that you've, you've been experienced at treating. I treat uh, a little bit of everything, but we primarily focus here at the center on sexual addiction, uh, love addiction, porn addiction, sexual acting out, and then betrayal trauma, healing from betrayal uh, for spouses of those who are struggling with sex addiction. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I want people to kind of hear that, you know, even though some of those things can sound heavy, uh, today in our conversation, it, it, we really are going to be focusing on on the hope that this method and the things that you do with people provide. So I think it's really educational, and I, I want to encourage people to stay with this conversation, even if there are some parts of this conversation that you, that that you may not relate to specifically. But I think it can help all of us when we learn about uh, addiction. We can learn about things or compulsions. Even we can see things in extreme and then also see them in their less extreme form, which all of us frankly have, at least that's my experience. We have, we all struggle with some sort of neurosis or addiction or, um, you know, staying in balance, right? For sure. And what I love about IFS is it makes sense of everything that we struggle with, um, not just kind of the quote, big things like addiction or trauma, but anytime we feel something that we don't want to feel or we do something that we don't want to do, IFS helps us to make sense of that. And don't we all feel anger or fear and anxiety right now during our political process or pandemic? And aren't we all coping with eating a few too many Oreos or (laughs) sleeping (laughs) in or being frustrated with online schooling with our kids? Uh, We all are feeling things we don't want to feel and doing things we don't want to do. And the ways that we normally approach those problems, those dilemmas actually make them worse. And IFS helps us to do the reverse, which in fact helps to make them better. Right, right. Yeah, and, 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 I, and I want to put a frame around this also because I, I, I'm excited about IFS and I know you're excited about it. And I, I don't know about you, but I have had this experience myself as a former evangelical, I'm going to just name this, uh, you know, as a person who, who used to be um, sort of, no, so my identity was wrapped around sort of being excited about getting other people to do what I was doing, right? So to hear the good news, right? So I have sort of this, uh, I don't know what to call it. Maybe, you know, you, if we were working together, you could help me figure this out. But it's sort of a fatigue around like hearing like, it's this great thing and you just got it right. So I don't know if you can relate to that, but I, I want to name that for people that, yeah, we are excited about IFS. Sometimes we call it self-leadership. That's the other name for it. Um, but at the end of the day, it's a path, right? It's, it's a path that I happen to think, and I think you think is pretty darn sophisticated. Like it pretty much covers the complexity of how the mind works. And when you're working with trauma, that becomes so important to know which end is up. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would call that, um, maybe even a skeptical part, And I love when people bring skeptical parts to the conversation because skeptical parts are helping us to not just uh, take every random claim to lose 30 pounds by only drinking agave juice, you know, for a (laughs) decade or whatever it might be. There's a million claims that this is the magic pill um, out there in the world. And if we didn't have skeptical parts, that we're like, eh, I don't think so. Right. Uh, we would we would be running down a lot of rabbit holes that were n- maybe not even not helpful, but harmful. So yeah. I love that when when people bring that sense of, mm, I don't know. I've heard a lot of people say this is the the cat's meow. I'm not really sure I'm buying it. Yeah. It's yeah. great. Yeah, exactly. I, and I, I I just want people to hear that, especially because you know that that is such an important part of this process is welcoming the skeptical parts. In fact, it's, this is, we're not really trying to sell anybody on this. In fact, be as skeptical as you want with this and see how it works with, with your skepticism. <laughs> um, and, and that is welcome. It's serving a purpose. So thank you. Yeah, that's really helpful for me to hear. 
that helps me sort of like say, oh yeah, this is okay. Yeah. Now we can sort of talk about it. Um, so maybe you can give the, the, the summary, your summary of what IFS is. And for people who don't know it, obviously people are listening who do know IFS. So They'll have to be patient with this a little bit. If we can kind of, can you break it down? What is IFS? I'll just give a thumbnail sketch and then invite people to go deeper if they'd like to with other podcasts or reading offerings that, that are available. But IFS really offers a different understanding of how we function as humans. So typically uh, in our culture, we think of ourselves as one singular monolithic being. So I am me. And so then if we feel a feeling or we engage in a behavior, we tend to over-identify with that. So we might say, I am an anxious person, or I am codependent, or I am depressed, I am an addict. Um, That kind of thinking is fairly hopeless because if that feeling or that behavior is all of who I am, it's it's a little hard to change. IFS helps us to understand what I think we all kind of intuitively know because we talk this way is that we're actually not one singular creation. We all are one person with many parts. And we we just naturally talk this way. We'll say, you know, there is this committee in my head. <laughs> or we'll say, um, you know, a part of me really wants to go to that party on Friday and see everybody and get reconnected. And another part of me is so exhausted. It's been a long day uh, at work and I just want to go home and binge watch Netflix. Uh, So we intuitively get that we are made up of many different parts and those parts are often at war. And IFS is fairly simple in the highest level of understanding. It articulates that we all have a core self That's at the core of who we are, kind of like the core of an apple. And then we have basically three types of parts. We have exiles that are parts of us that carry the pain and trauma of our negative life experiences. And then we have two types of protective parts. We have proactive parts. We call those managers. And they're trying to proactively prevent us from feeling the pain of our exiles And when that doesn't work, we have reactive protectors. We call those firefighters. And they jump in when we do feel the pain of our exiles to try to put out that pain, like putting out a fire. And that's basically it, understanding that we're all comprised of a self and many different parts. And that when we get into uh, struggles, either with behavior or conflict or feelings that we don't want to be in, Understanding that we just have parts at war and that's normal is how IFS helps us to make sense of those confusing and self-defeating experiences that we can often have. Right. That's a really nice way to explain it, Jenna. Um, One of the conventional models and maybe colloquial kind of of common speech uh, of people thinking about the brain when they think about sort of how what therapy does is like peeling back the onion. And that's sort of people think of it as like, okay, they do understand there are layers to the personality, layers to our, you know, what we share with our close friends. We don't share with, you know, people we just met. There are layers of intimacy within our mind. We relate to ourselves uh, in that way. But IFS kind of um, takes that analogy and sort of explodes it in a sense. It's more like cloves of garlic, I've heard it explained. It's like, it's really not that simple, when, especially when we talk about how the mind fragments under stress or trauma, and that these subpersonalities um, come out. What, what is your what is your response to someone who says, you know, I don't think I have multiple personality disorder. This is not, you know, because Dick Schwartz is very clear about this. In fact, I kind of pressed him on it, and he said, yeah, I do think these are subpersonalities, real, you know, real like sub. And you know, I I personally don't kind of hold firmly to that. And, and I find that that's helpful for people to hear that it's okay, we can call it subpersonalities. And it seems like I think you might use that language too. Well, I, I think it matters less what we call it and more that we understand that every part of us is good and every part is welcome. To me, that's the transformational message of IFS. Do our parts tend to have different personalities? I think so. For example, um, there's a part of me that (laughs) likes to eat cookies. I'm holding up a cookie monster for those who don't see the video. A little cookie monster uh, 
guy. And this part of me, when a box of Girl Scout cookies or Oreos comes into the house, it jumps up and takes me over and it kind of has one vocabulary word. It just says cookie. And this part of me is super impulsive and it doesn't think a lot about future consequences and it just goes num, 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 num. And it wants to eat the whole box of cookies right there on the spot. It's, it's kind of like a 13-year-old ADHD adolescent boy. And <laughs> that's its personality. Then I have another part of me that is sort of the, um, it knows all the right things to do. I'm holding up a little brain. And um, it is very structured. And it knows that I need to eat green leafy vegetables and drink eight cups of water. And it's very uh, disciplined and very future thinking. And it checks the boxes and and make sure I go to the gym. And that's a very different type of part inside of me. And these two parts don't like each other. They don't (laughs) always work together. They never work together. In fact, they're at odds with each other. And each one is trying to control my system. And Mm -hmm. let's just hypothetically say during COVID, uh, Cookie Monster has had a little more control in my system than than the part of me that is very structured. Uh, And maybe other listeners can relate to that as well. But uh, when I do things I don't want to do, like eat a whole pack of cookies in one sitting, what I know is that this part of me is a good part. Even if it's stuck in an unhelpful role, it's trying to help me manage stress or anxiety or help me to feel better. And it has learned how to do that in one way, which is eat sugar. And then this other part of me that's very structured and check the box and fitness oriented, it's also a good part. It's stuck in an, in an unhelpful role. It's a little over-regimented and it's just trying to help me as well. It right. is trying to help me to do it right and to be fit and take good care of myself. And they're both good parts. They're both welcome. And to me, that is what is transformational about IFS. It does not matter. Let me just underscore this. It does not matter what your parts are feeling or doing. They are all good and they are all welcome. So what I always invite listeners to think about is think about the part of you, everybody listening, about which you have the most shame. Okay, for most of us, something came to mind really quickly. For a lot of us, we don't want that part to come to mind and we really especially don't want anybody else to know about that part. Now, what would you say if I told you that that part of you was welcome and that part of you was good? Now, most people would recoil about that because they don't like that part of them. They don't like what it's doing. They don't like that it takes over and does the things that it does. But what we know in IFS is the way to actually help those parts to heal and not have to do whatever it is that they're doing that we feel so much shame about is to actually move towards them with love and compassion and curiosity and understand where they first learned how to try to help us in this way. Right. And what they're afraid would happen if they didn't do that. And what we learn is that's a much more effective way to help that part transform than to beat it down, yell at it and try to lock it in the basement. Yeah. And I love that you're using that word transform and transformational and healing. Um, because the the typical approach, and I have to admit, like as a therapist, we get, I think, um, asked. Or it, it's easy for our manager parts as therapists to get enlisted in helping others. And for any helpers out there, first responders, you know, we are known for, in fact, people can say to us point blank, I'm paying you to help me get rid of this eating disorder. Like that's kind of what it comes down to. I'm, you know, I've, I have an explosive anger problem. I need you to help me to get it to stop. And what you're saying, it sounds like, and you illustrated it so nicely with Cookie Monster, is that therapists typically take the role of that little cerebral manager brain that says there's rights and wrongs and it's wrong to eat all those cookies. And what we do is we try to, as therapists in the old model, try to get that brain to grow bigger and fight and kind of put down the cookie monster. It sounds like you're saying IFS, the the beauty of it is, is that actually when we do that, we hurt ourselves more. 
um, that we, we go to war against these parts. And then those, those parts we're fighting tend to get bigger. And that's why addictions, I think, tend to be so, under traditional treatment, tend to be so perplexing that we do all this intensive treatment to manage the addiction. And then what happens? <laughs> like relapse, relapse, relapse. That's exactly right. And I think it, it kind of comes down to this bipolar approach that in our treatment modalities historically and in our culture, in our families and in our faith communities, our solution when we're feeling something we don't want to feel like, let's say, fear or shame, or we're doing something we don't want to do, like eating cookies or drinking too much wine, is to move against it. And we say, stop it. Mm-hmm. Stop eating those cookies. Only right. eat lettuce leaves. Stop right. drinking that wine. Stop being angry. And you right. and I both know, if, if you're like me and, and you've ever felt or done anything that you don't want to do, telling me to stop it is just going to make it worse. And IFS actually is a move toward model um, where we're not aligning with one part or another to villainize one part or another, even if what it's doing is stuck in a really unhelpful role. So here's an example. I work a lot with addiction. So I have here a bottle of wine because I'm doing filming in my office for like a good uh, bottle of wine. to explain this model. Yeah. Woo. Um, there you go. Well, I don't drink, but my, my colleague, my colleague brought it in for me and I think she has pretty good taste. So I don't know, but anyway, bottle of wine and what tends to happen. Let me just, let me just do a little illustration here. Nice. So this, let's say this is my, this is my high tech uh, illustration of model. This clear glass base that I'm holding up, it has eight C qualities taped to it. And those are clear curious, confident, connected, calm, courageous, creative, and compassionate. Those are the qualities that we naturally have at our core. So that's inside of you, inside of me, inside of all of our listeners, 100% of the time. But if we have uh, had the experience in life where we have had a negative situation, let's say we were bullied or we had an abusive or neglectful or enmeshed family of origin, or our parents divorced, or we moved a lot, or we were the victims of abuse or natural disaster. We developed these parts called exiles. So I've got a little uh, a little uh, skeleton here, and let's say this is shame. And so when the shame takes us over, let's say I have a client who learned that, ooh, if I have a glass of alcohol, the shame feels better for a hot minute. So they learn to pour alcohol on the shame. And then the next morning, let's say the inner critic, I've got a little ruler here, jumps up and starts yelling at the part that was drinking the alcohol and says, oh my gosh, how could you do that? Are you kidding me? You had a blackout? What are people going to think? And so this is the part that calls us the next morning and it gets on the phone and says, hello, hello, pastor, uh, therapist, um, person, accountability partner. I need you to get on board with me to help make this thing stop it because I've been yelling at it inside my system for a long time and it used to work and it doesn't and it's taking over more and more and you need to help me stop it. And so these parts all come into our office and we often say, hey, stop it. And let me give you this five point plan for how you can stop that. And let's say we're successful in getting the client for a little bit to stop drinking or eating cookies or looking at porn or whatever it is that they're doing. And now critic feels better for a hot minute, but we haven't done anything about this. And this, and that would be the shame for people who don't have uh, the video for this podcast. And so the shame comes back up only now we don't have the option to take a drink. So what happens? Now we eat or we smoke or we do a variety or we yell, yell at the kids or yell at our spouse or it just takes it another be. form. That's, that's right. Because all we've done, we've just done whack-a-mole. So that's why you go into a typical AA meeting. Everybody's gained 30 pounds and they're smoking like mad and drinking coffee. Is we, We've just switched out parts because we've villainized this one. Isn't it depressing also? Jenna, do you, do you think that, that a person it feels that they, they start to feel like they, 
cannot possibly be good enough to be the person that drinks in moderation. Like at at a certain point, once you've yelled at all these parts, and then it, and, and then your then your addiction goes into something else, you start gaining weight. Then isn't it feel just demoralizing, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you're talking about with the with the exiles, mm-hmm. that the exiles don't really get the attention. It's just like, yeah. oh well, we stopped you from drinking. That's great. Now yeah. you're but now you're suicidal. But yeah. okay, well, well, we stopped the drinking. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's not funny. Right. It is, it is really, it gets heavier and heavier and heavier the more we fight. Exactly. And in doing that, we're making the shame worse because when we yell at one part of ourselves or another and tell it how bad it is and how terrible what it's doing is, is we're actually making our shame worse and we're not actually solving the problem. They may stop drinking for a while or looking at porn or eating cookies, but they're going to do something else. And and now the shame is worse. So they're going to have right. to do more of something else. And eventually that usually re- leads to relapse. And so a lot of people say, well, then are you telling me that we should just drink and eat cookies and look at porn and feel fear all we want because they're all good parts? And the answer to that is definitively no. (laughs) That's not what we're saying. Um, We're not saying that all the behaviors of the parts are good. What we're saying is these are well-intentioned parts that are trying to help us with our pain and they've gotten stuck in a bad role. And the most effective way to unstick them is to be compassionate, get to know why they're doing what they're doing and do something about the pain that's driving it. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that that was the question I was going to jump to. And and, and let's get to that in a little bit um, more, Jenna. I want to ask you, because I think it's important to talk through and take our time talking through what exactly that means, that, that we are welcoming some of these parts which... But by all measures, people will say this to us. They are they they appear ugly. They may be dangerous. They they hurt others. They get them into trouble. Um, they want to take their own life. They want to harm themselves. These are parts that are heavy duty parts that even even yeah. therapists get get pretty triggered to to feel like they have to just stop it or else they're ethically going to be um, shamed by others, right? In the you know in the therapist community. So um, we'll get to that and say I want to talk through that. But can you speak to what difference IFS in learning this this compassionate, very compassionate model has made in your life personally? Because it's a lot of people describe it, even though it's Dick did not intend it to be a spiritual development tool. It's it's secular. I want to just name that. It's research based. It's scientific based, mm-hmm. and there's no religious dogma whatsoever at its core. It's really just talking about how the brain and mind works, and it's being validated by many other fields that kind of come at it from different angles, but come up with the same language. Um, of parts. So can you speak to what your personal experience is? What's the, what difference has this made in your life? You've already referenced a little bit. Definitely. It has been a game changer for me, which is why I wrote the book. And uh, make no mistake, I have super nerdy parts that love the science and love the neurochemistry and and love kind of the the research base that is um, that causes this to be an evidence-based protocol. But when I first encountered IFS, far more impactful than any of that was that it resonated deeply with my personally held spiritual beliefs. And not only did it resonate deeply, but it gave me language and a an immediate approach to uh, the grace and the compassion and the transformation that my faith community had promised, but I didn't always experience. Um, But this model, this way of approaching it gave me what I would call the eyes of God to Mm. see these very human struggles that I have, you have, we all have um, in a way that actually did open up transformation rather than creating more shame. And in the spiritual tradition, uh, that I had been a part of sometimes I had the experience where actually sharing a struggle would bring about more judgment and more shame and less transformation rather than the reverse. And I had not really known how to make sense of that. It gave me language for it and a way to describe um, the Christian faith. And actually I think many different faith traditions in a way that made 
profound sense and was transformational immediately in my life. Yeah. Yeah. So you're saying that even, even though the faith community that you practiced as part of a Christian was intended to be transformative and, and inspirational. I, I, you didn't say that, but I, I, I imagine and know that from my familiarity with, you know, having a Christian background, like it, it, it aspires to do all these things, but you're saying in, in practice, um, it maybe didn't quite have the nuts and bolts to like get all these pieces to move and it got pretty messy. Exactly. I, I heard a lot of language about, um, about grace and about being holy and completely loved and not being able to do anything more or less to earn God's favor. But that wasn't my felt experience. And so I had these parts of me that would try to perform and do it right and check the box and volunteer and teach the VBS and do all the things. And I wound up, uh, those parts of me became very fatigued. And it really wasn't helping me to connect with an experience of God. And what I realized in IFS is that this explains it. This core self that that Dick describes as the self, unfortunately in Christianese, self has really negative connotation. It has um, a connotation so, of selfishness, I think. Selfish, the the you know, the the flesh, right? Sinfulness. Yes. Exactly. So that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about and what I articulate in the book, this is the God image within all of us. This is when it says in Genesis 1 that we're created in the image of God. This is what it's talking about. This is where that fruit of the Spirit just overflows from the core of who we are. And when we're filled clear, with- calm, curious, courageous, confident, creative, compassionate, connected. Those are the things that you're saying is really, those are the eyes of God. You're listening to the Soul of Life podcast with me, Keith Miller. Every week I bring you a new episode that hopefully inspires you to reflect more on who you are and who you want to be in this rapidly changing world. If this time we share together moves you somehow closer to who you are or lights up parts of you that have been unplugged, I want to hear from you. And please share the love. Take a moment to find the Soul of Life podcast in the social media where you hang out on iTunes, Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, and let me know who you are. Exactly. And when you think about the divine, aren't those the qualities that God brings to the world? God's clear-minded and confident, connected in intimate relationship, calm, courageous, creative, compassionate. Those words describe the God of my awareness. And um, so that is the true, at our core, is the the true center of our connection to the divine. This is our true spiritual center where we are um, really fully in connection to that grace and that love. But what happens is if we don't understand how parts work is maybe we have experienced uh, some type of I'll just use my own life as an experience, if that's okay. Um, We moved a lot when I was growing up. I moved uh, very frequently because my dad was in the military. So I was always kind of the kid on the outside looking in. And I was very late blooming and gangly. And I had headgear and acne and all the things as a teenager and came into a private preparatory high school in Hawaii and was bullied pretty severely and rejected. And I I have... um, you know, exile parts that hold a lot of shame and feel ugly, stupid, unwanted, rejectable. So I developed these other parts of me that uh, tried to compensate for that and prevent it from happening. I have my, my parts that are super nerdy that like to understand everything and get the right answer. Um, I have my inner critic that yells at me to try to get me to do it right. Um, I have a people pleaser that just says, yes, I'd be happy to do that for you, no matter what you ask of me. Um, and uh, so basically, in my 20s, when I, uh, to use the Christian language, became a Christian, or when my core became filled with the Holy Spirit, these parts got together and had a baby. And uh, it, I have these two pens here that are that are kind of smooshed together in a, in a cross. And um, this became a burdened part of mine, and I didn't know it was happening. And so this part, which I call in the book my spiritualizer part, it tried to get me to do it right using all these tactics, knowing the right answer, people-pleasing, being critical of me when I do stuff wrong. 
so that I could be pleasing to God Mm. or to my faith community. Its job was to use God language and Christianese and Christian behaviors to pressure me to do it right so that I would be right with God and be good with the church and I wouldn't ever have to feel shame again. So let me let me stop you for a second because there's a couple of things I want to want to tease out. You said it became a burden part. Your spiritual identity, your accepting of maybe uh, if this is the language you would use, your accepting of Jesus uh, uh, into your heart took actually created a burdened part. Which I want to ask you this. Um, as, uh, no, t- tell me if I got it right. Go ahead. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's a little bit different than that. So at my at my core that filling with the Holy Spirit was an authentic spiritual experience. It was Mm -hmm. transformational for me and was very powerful, very tangible. I felt, uh, you know, and everyone has a different experience of this. For me, it was a, a very profound experience. And that was always there and present at my core. But what happened was, Shortly thereafter, I developed a part that was burdened that tried to mimic that experience by doing it right. And, and what does it, it mean was, that it's burdened? Maybe you can say more about that. Yeah, you bet. So we all have many different parts and not all of them are burdened. Our parts are just, they make up our unique personality. So I like to talk about my son. He's just an amazing young man and he loves sports cars. He has a sports car part and I'm telling you, he knows everything that there ever was to know about fancy cars and it's not protecting him from pain. It's not serving any burdened role. It just is part of his wonderful personality. I do not have that part. My only concern about cars is how safe are they and what kind of gas mileage do they get? Right, right, right. So it's the, the key thing there is that a, a part that is burdened is something that it's, it's, it's it's exceeded its natural capacity or its natural role because now it's not just a part that loves to cook. It has to cook to please others. It has to cook or else the uh, my husband is going to scream at me. Like it's, is that what you mean? Exactly. So our unburdened parts are just unique parts of our personality. But when they get burdened or covered over with a job that's not theirs, trying to prevent pain or put pain out, then we say they're a burdened part. And I developed what I call my spiritualizer burdened part. It wasn't my authentic connection to the divine. That was inside of me and that was untarnished. But what would happen is that my spiritualizer part was like, ooh, I like that connection to the divine. I want to figure out how to do that and how to please God and do it right and make all the right things and say all the right churchy words so it would use God language and God behavior, but it was trying to prevent me from feeling the shame mm-hmm. of being bad or being wrong or unacceptable to God or unacceptable to my faith community. Which it was pushes actually, you further away from God, actually, at that point, right? Or further away from a redemptive experience or a whole experience. Exactly. And there we have the move against energy versus the move towards. My authentic connection to the divine is always a move towards energy. And we see that in the scriptural, from a Christian perspective, we see that when Christ was on the earth, he moved toward the people who were suffering. He moved toward the least desirable. He moved toward the lepers, toward the outcast, toward the storms, toward the cross. Jesus represented a move toward kind of God. The Pharisees, if we're looking at Christian scripture, represented a move against spiritualizer part. They were trying to do it right, but they were doing God's stuff, moving against other people and against parts of themselves that they were trying to exile. The energy of those two is completely different, even if the words they're using feel really similar. One is a transformative kind of moving thing, and the other is more of a constricting Um, and maybe reductionist type of thing. Yes. My spiritualizer part is going to have a spirit of judgment and condemnation. It's going to want to know right and wrong so that it can put people in categories. Heaven and and hell. 
Yep. And you're, these are good sins and these are bad sins, even though it won't say that out loud because there's not supposed to be a hierarchy <laughs> of sin, but it sure believes there are. That's the really mm-hmm. bad sin. And that's just the little sin. Oh, mm-hmm. you're gossiping. Well, that's just a little sin, but you're gay. Oh my gosh. That's the big one mm, right. um, mm-hmm. or whatever it might be. Um, is So it's the opposite of this energy, which is grace, love, you are welcome. You are seen. This is transformational. We're drawn to the energy of the core connection to the God image. And if you've ever been across from anyone who exemplifies this, you know what that feels like because every part of you inside can relax. There's no fear of judgment or condemnation or shame or being told you're doing it wrong. Whereas if you're sitting across from a spiritualizing part, every part of you tenses up and you want to hide certain things that you feel, or you may change the way you talk or the words that you say, or you may avoid certain topics of conversation, or you may try to look better than you are, or pretend you may fight with your family on the car and the way to church. And then when you get out, you greet everybody and how are you? Well, I'm fine. How are you? Well, we're just fine. Praise Jesus. Kind of hides things. That's right. That's right. right. So what I realized is that when when Jesus was on the earth, he said, here's the deal, folks, that I've got I've got a cliff note of this whole big honking study Bible that I carry around. Jesus didn't say that because they didn't have a study Bible, but he said, <laughs> let me see if I can find my, I can't find my little heart, but I'll use this one. He said, this is my cliff note. This is, this is what I'm here. I'm here about love. Love each other, love as I have loved you, love your neighbor, love your enemy. And this is how people are going to know you're, you're with me. They're going to feel your love. And furthermore, I have a new command for you. Like forget all those other commands. Like I got one. I've distilled it down. All you need to know, here it is, love. And when you ask the average American if what their number one word is to describe Christians, they will say, Hate. Mm. Now, I can't really understand that dichotomy unless I understand this because the God image within me radiates love and grace. My spiritual part is trying really hard to do it right, but because its job is to know right from wrong and do it right and not make a mistake and not feel any yucky feelings. It's going to exude a spirit of condemnation and hatred and judgment and shame. And that helped me to make sense of my faith experience and my faith journey and what those moments were when I felt truly deeply seen and loved and connected to God that was coming from that inner God image within me and why those moments were so transformational because this is where the power for healing lies. Right. Right. I mean, Jenna, I want to I want to say what you've done in writing this book altogether you for a Christian audience. I think is very courageous. I think it's courageous as a professional um uh in a in a secular profession writing and including the language of your heart um in your faith. And it's it's courageous as a person of faith who you know who lives in, 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 in around people who, who could judge it as something that's trying to get people out of their faith and you're not trying to do that at all in fact you're really trying to bring both together and i wonder were you nervous uh, at all in in writing this book and in kind of challenging the status quo i have to i have to say like i i think that this is something that needs to be said and taught um, and I wonder, were you nervous at all about people misunderstanding you bringing this um, sort of scientific knowledge of the mind and the brain and parts and how the brain works into the faith communities? Well, I think that anytime we stand in the arena, to quote Teddy Roosevelt, we will always have critics. And that is partly evidence that we are in the arena. And so I think I anticipated that, that there would be critics. I've met with relatively few, which is amazing to me. I think I anticipated more, mm. but my heart is not to draw people out of their faith tradition. It's actually to move them into it more authentically and to heal the parts that may have inadvertently been wounded by well-intentioned spiritualizers and to 
um, to provide a healing experience to people who've been deeply hurt by the church or faith communities um, when both sides meant really well. It, my, my heartbeat is to be a bridge. Um, and I think that where people get a little bit wonky and what I discovered um, in, in this transformational work of IFS um, I would be working with Christian clients and they'd be okay with this idea of parts. Once I help them kind of think it through, well, we're created in the image of God. And a Christian understanding of God is that we have a triune God. That's one God with three parts, mm. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in the New Testament, we're told that God created humans and placed them in one community or what the scriptures would call one, quote, body. One, one community or one body with many parts. So it would make sense that I'm one human with many parts because that's totally consistent with, with the image of God that, that uh, is the way that we were told that we were created. And if you look at some of the most pivotal pieces of scripture, Romans in particular, seven and eight is just beautiful for this. We hear um, Paul, who is the you know penultimate example of of sort of New Testament Christianity, in this wrestling of parts, he says, "Oh my goodness, this, what I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I want to do." <laughs> Constantly at war with with himself, right. and 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 that I think inspired a lot of that sort of teaching, like, okay, like some of the things that Paul, Paul teaches. And I want to say also going back to St. Augustine, because I think that's really Paulinian, you know, but this is, I'm just, I'm just uh, brandishing my theology cred here. Um, you know, one of the things that, that struck me about your, um, your teaching and your writing in Altogether You is that you talk about this idea of uh, God here, God in here, meaning in us versus God over there. And, you know, I had to, I have to give you credit. Like I have not, you know, I've, some of my listeners will know, will know that I've spent a lot of time sort of distancing myself from some of my theology, sort of uh, my nerdiness and theology and that sort of thing, because that was a spiritual experience for me. And, um, and then I moved into social work and sort of the practice, what I saw is the practice of actually this spiritual work. And, and that's what is, has gotten me energized, you know, for the last 20, 30 years. Um, but it reminded me, and I had to dig it up. I had to look back in my notes, and I actually um, uh, went back to a teacher at at my college and found out that he passed away this year. And it was, you know, so I want to just name this for you that you you connected me with a part of me that was um, touched by him, Doctor John Stanley, and I'll just dedicate this to him because he taught about people like Paul Tillich, who some. Christians would say Paul Tillich was not a Christian, right? But um, he taught this idea, and you know, it's in the lineage of other people like St. Francis of Assisi or Thomas Merton, Eckhart Tolle, Martin Buber, Martin Luther King Jr., people who hear Martin Luther King Jr. speak, or any Lutherans for that matter out there. Like, like that's sort of this idea that Mother Teresa, like a God is with us. Uh, it is not something we have to expend any effort. We don't have to sweat whether or not we are that we belong to God. We belong to God. That's how we're born. Uh, and the rest of it is sort of relaxing into that and living in it. And that just to me feels so beautiful and so warm. Exactly. And I think that right there, uh, that encapsulates my experience as well. And the difference between my spiritualizer part and my true connection to the divine, my spiritual, my spiritualizer part says, Oh, you are, you are bad for feeling that or doing that. And you need to do it right and get on over there to God way over there. Get, get all shoveled through your pile of sin and get snugged up under the shadow of God's wings so you can somehow uh, not effort, but effort and poof out the fruit of the spirit. And my <laughs> right, which is impossible. Like, it's like, what? Like, how in the heck am I supposed to like, first of all, get through my pile of sin because I'm pouring so much on every two minutes. I can't shovel that fast. Right, and right. furthermore, get snuggled up under God's wings and do it perfectly, but not do anything. And, and then poof, the fruit of the spirit. And I was like exhausted before I even started. And right. that's, an eff, that's an efforting faith, which is the action of a burdened manager. Whereas the action of our true divine connection is a surrender. 
it's a releasing into what is already there. That's where the scripture that says, if you remain in the vine, the fruit will, will burst out from you naturally. That never made any sense to me until IFS. I'm like, people, it ain't bursting out anywhere mm-hmm. naturally. I have to mm-hmm. work really hard at that fruit. Right. And what, right. what we know is it's right here and it's always right. been there, but our parts obscure our access to it until they surrender and then it naturally springs forward. And that is so transformational. It's the reverse of what we've always tried doing. Right. And it is so much more peaceful and so much more filled with grace and hope. It really is. I, I, I'm going to say something heretical here as someone that is sort of outside the Christian faith, but um, I hope this is okay. I feel like if St. Paul could hear your words I feel as though he would be transformed. And even his writing, we would see new chapters. We would see amendments to some of these chapters. Uh, but I'm going to leave that for another time. <laughs> but, um, I, I've, um, you know, I, I've introduced IFS to a lot of people of the Christian faith, uh, as you have. And, you know, when I work with people in therapy and they tell me that uh, their Christian identity, Jesus, is a, a big part of their core identity, I honor that and respect it and gently and courageously begin to introduce them to this idea that all of their parts are welcome, including the parts um, that they don't like, especially what we call in IFS, the firefighters. So I wanted to maybe kind of end with this and kind of talk back, swing back to addiction and um, the firefighters, because typically firefighters are the parts that are um, people think of as causing all the problems in life, addictions, rage, anger, um, compulsions, um, some of the things that we can't control that, uh, you know, we try to control our sexual desire, that sort of thing. Um, so I'm always delighted. And it seems to me that it's the most transformational. Um, it's like this aha moment when especially Christians, um, begin to really realize what, what I'm saying and what the process is teaching them that actually, no, we're not saying we endorse doing all these things that in their extreme, we're saying, no, you can actually just be curious about them and stop fighting, relax the fight. And it's usually like, are you serious? They say to me literally, are you serious? Is, is it that simple? And I'm like, well, I think it is. Why don't you try it? <laughs> What's your experience? Well, I love, I love what you're saying. And what I think is so beautiful is that we often think that running to God for our help, um, that God will be our, our refuge and our strength and ever present help in, in weakness, that that means running to God over there. And, and it's, it's that whole, I got to run through my pile of sin to get on over to God way over there in his big holiness. And, um, and that's just exhausting and filled with shame and hopelessness. And it's really well-intentioned, but if I'm trying to get over there to God and God is only over there, but he's not here, um, then I'm kind of, uh, it's a little bit of a hopeless experience because I have to do it right and all of that. But that isn't how God identifies himself. If we look and, and names in scripture are incredibly important. Names capture people's identity, their core. And so when God chose the name that he would give himself, he chose the name Emmanuel, which means God with us, God in us, not over there, not where he's going to run out and grab a sandwich or get a snack. God with us, Emmanuel, he's right here. He's in you and in me. And that is so transformational because now if, and that doesn't mean God isn't out there in the universe, but in a very tangible way, the image of God, the Imago Dei, the divine essence is within me. And I spend a lot of time in scripture uh, proof texting this in the book so that people who are very concerned about the theology and the hermeneutics of this can really follow that if they would like to. I believe it holds up to the test of scripture. When I know that's the case and I have a cookie eating part, Instead of yelling at my cookie eating part and telling it that it needs to quit defiling the temple of God and get on over there across my pile of Oreos to the God over there, instead of that being how I get to God, if I realize that I can just become curious about my cookie eater and that 
accessing the divine within me is actually how my cookie eater can run to Jesus. And Jesus Mm -hmm. can say to my cookie eater, hey, buddy, welcome. I see that you're up right now. There's something you're trying to help with. Would you tell me, where did you first learn how to try to help me in this way? Well, when I was, when you were 13 and you didn't, nobody loved you and, and you figured out that eating ice cream after school could make it better for a little bit. Oh my goodness. And you've been trying to help me for that long. Oh, thank you. This, this is what running to Jesus looks like. This is actually where the transformation happens. And if you look in scripture, this is exactly what Jesus did. Take the biggest, baddest firefighter, take adultery. Okay. I work with sex addiction frequently. So the Pharisees wanted to wanted to get, you know, right and wrong and good and bad and let's hook Jesus. So they go grab this woman who was caught in adultery and they throw her down in front of Jesus and say, oh, she's so bad. She's got the really worst firefighter. She's the worst sinner. What are you going to say about it? And Jesus says, oh, friends. (laughs) He says, how about if you gently take a U-turn which is an IFS principle. And look at what about her is evoking something in you because that is what needs to heal here. It's your spiritualizer parts that want to kill her. He reached out to them. He reached out to them. And then he reached out to her Mm -hmm. and he moved toward and said, where are they? Nobody's throwing the first stone. And you know what? Neither do I. Sweet one, I've seen you in all of your shame. I love you. Get up. Go and sin no more. I'm not throwing stones. He is a move toward and transform kind of God. And by bringing IFS to our inner parts, we are doing inside of ourselves what Jesus did outside of us. And that transforms our inner system so that we can bring that transformational, loving, move toward compassionate energy to the world outside of us. And that is the most powerful way that I personally know to actively and tangibly live out my faith journey by bringing the God image within me to all of my parts and to the world outside of me. Yeah, it is really warm and and, and so inviting. And I think at this time, we need to hear this. I hope, I don't think there's anybody out there that, that could f- hear that message. In, even my skeptical parts that have uh, skepticism about how many times we're using the word Jesus in this podcast, right? I'm going to yeah. just name that. Like, I want people yeah. to hear also that, you know, I can, I can have all sorts of skepticism about um, an idea or a belief like that and still hear your warmth and your energy and the brightness that you, that you have and that you're conveying. And it, it is as real as I can see you right now across from me. So there is nothing that really I can say to myself that is to be afraid of here. Right. And so I think that's the journey. And and I want to use another term. Um, You kind of talk about where this is uh, IFS is where spiritual faith-based life meets the like kind of the rubber meets the road. And it is, we didn't talk about this much today, but IFS self-leadership is a mindfulness, mindfulness mindfulness-based psychotherapy and mindfulness-based practice. Um, And it's not just in therapy that we use it. You can use it every day. And when you start talking, I mean, I think people like Jesus because he was so mindful and so present with people that he could do something like that with people attacking him and very gently um, begin to turn the the power and and not in a hostile way not trying to hurt anybody um, I think yeah. that's why we look to vi- to leaders like Martin Luther King or uh, yeah. people like Mother Teresa those are that's why their legacies stay with us for centuries because they just have this that's ability right. it's not about really, the identity. Um, again, that can sound heretical to some versions of the Christian faith, but it really isn't about what you call Jesus, I think. Um, and, you know, so it, 
Yeah, it's amazing what you're doing. Thank you for doing this work. Is there anything else that you want to say about where people can find you, where people can hear you speak and talk? And I want to recommend this book, Altogether You, for anyone interested in hearing IFS explained in a language that I think Christians will find uh, comfortable and, and inviting and, and intriguing. Yes, thank you so much. I really appreciate um, you kind of making that connection. And I think it's an important one that I happen to write this book kind of to people who have heard about Christianity or been injured by Christianity or people who themselves want more vibrancy in their own Christian faith journey. But that doesn't make it exclusive to Christianity. And I talk about this in the book. Every faith tradition has a word for what I call the God image within us. In Christianity, it's the God image or the Imago Dei. In Hinduism, it's Atman or it's Buddha. In Buddhism, in, in yoga, I end my yoga practice every day with Namaste, which means the God image in me sees and honors the God image in you. Another word for this would be prana or chi. Every tradition has a word for this. And so this is not limited to Christianity in terms of understanding how we access this core. I just happen to to write the book for that purpose, but I certainly speak more broadly than just the confines of, of Christianity. Um, but yes, I would love to invite readers to um, connect with lots of free resources on my website, uh, jennareemersma.com. It's a big last name, so you'll have to probably put that in the show notes sure will. Uh, for people. For people to spell, but the book is available on Amazon.com uh, and anywhere books are sold. It's Altogether You, Experiencing Personal and Spiritual Transformation Through Internal Family Systems. Lovely. Jenna Riemersma, thanks for being with us here today. Thanks so much, Keith. It was great to be with you. Thanks for listening to The Soul of Life. This is Keith Miller. Oh, and don't forget, please leave a thumbs up or a like for this episode wherever you're listening so that others like you may find the soul of life. I mean, really, it's not every day you get to share the soul of life with someone. Okay, so you can post a comment or question on souloflifeshow.com. I'd love to hear from you. And please subscribe now to get the next episode. I look forward to sharing more of my soul of life with you. I like it and it's not harsh to my eardrum. All right, I will go.